Hello, welcome to Diminishing Returns, where for the first uh, tenth of this podcast, we're going to be our teenage selves, uh, and you're going to learn a little bit about how each of us came to be the person that we are today. And the people <laughs> that we are is me, Calvin, and with me, as always on this podcast, is Sol. <laughs> I love that you said you were going to do a normal intro, and then you just went for that. Hello. And Alan. Hello. And I'm very excited to be here uh, with you guys to talk about the third Indiana Jones film, The Last Crusade. It's the last one. Yes. (laughs) With, uh, obviously, this is the one where they bring in Sean Connery, of course, as Indiana Jones' dad, completing the sort of uh, meta... Uh, well, it, well, it is a sort of meta decision, I suppose. This whole series was sort of born out of Steven Spielberg's desire to make a Bond film, and here we have James Bond as Indy's dad, which is pretty cool. It's weird how they do that shit in films all the time, isn't it? Yeah. Like My- Michael Caine was uh, Austin Powers' dad, even though Austin Powers isn't really <laughs> anything like Michael Caine. <laughs> but that was that was their thinking was like oh yeah that's like sort of what we based it on I guess <laughs> and uh, what's his name out of the Rolling Stones was Jack Sparrow's dad <laughs> oh, in yeah. two separate Pirates of the Caribbean movies <laughs> um, guys this is my favourite indie film very excited to be uh, talking about it I've had an excuse to rewatch it oh no <laughs> no I just uh... Well, yeah, it, it's. I, I think it's. It's certainly the lightest of all of them. I think it's the most sort of comedic, uh, and I think it's the best sort of Indian his sidekick crew. I think he's got a really great band along for this adventure. Really, check your check your bias at the door, Calvin. I think that's what you should do. <laughs> yeah. Imagine it was. Imagine it was instead of James Bond in that role. Imagine that it's like. Liam Neeson, out George of taken, something you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 went through my thoughts on these films, didn't we? Broadly, in the first one, Raiders. I think I said Raiders was the best. Temple was shit. Uh, Last Crusade very good, but not as good as Raiders. And Kingdom of the, of the Crystal Skull, not as terrible as people make out, and better than Temple of Doom, but still not great. <laughs> hmm. We'll see. How and that and turns did out. that opinion <laughs> did that opinion hold up on uh, rewatching this one? Yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see, Calvin. We'll 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 <laughs> get through some of it. We'll see how I feel about it. Mm, okay. So the, the opening opening scene in this film, you got to have a big rollicking opening action scene. That's the Indiana yeah, and Jones instead way. they go for some fucking kid. What's their What's their obsession <laughs> with kids in these movies? What? Well, they are a big part of the target audience, I think. Yeah. Uh, I have no interest in seeing Indiana Jones as a child. Now you've seen um, what's the what's the Spielberg film he just did where Seth Rogen shagged his mum? This bit where it's a bunch of teenage boys like running around the desert, that felt like what he was filming when he was a kid in that film. But it's definitely not. I guess it kind of did, yeah. I, I, I just... I, I Look, so... Everyone complained when Solo came out, and we saw how Han Solo got the fuzzy dice, <laughs> and we saw how he got his surname. Yeah. What's your name? Oh, it's Han. Yeah, but what? What's your surname? Oh, I don't have any uh, any surname. All right. Well, who are you with? No one. Hmm. Han Solo. <laughs> Everyone hated that. They all thought it was the worst <laughs> thing that had ever happened. 
But everyone loves it when Indiana Jones falls into a little thing and there's a snake and he goes, oh, I'm scared of snakes now! No! <laughs> oh, I'm developing PTSD that's going to affect me for the rest of my life. From when a, when a grown adult tried to kill him as a child. But then he did also take on the identity of that adult. Mm, he did that as well, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's definitely some weird Freudian thing going on there. I think this scene is odd looking back on it now. I think in the context of this being the last Indiana Jones film, you know, it, it was obviously tying into the whole young Indiana Jones adventures thing, which I think was coming up or or had just been on TV recently. I was reading up on this last night. Uh, Spielberg, Lucas, they sold five Indiana Jones movies to Paramount, I believe, in 1979, oh. apparently, which I found really... That's been a long payoff. Interesting. They, they made a deal for five of them. That was their original plan. Let's just make a shitload of these. Hmm. And then George Lucas said he was having too much of a hard time coming up with MacGuffins that would be good for them to do, which is just insane. Absolutely insane. Make any old shit up, guys. I was gonna say that he was like he couldn't think of like Lost City of Atlantis. Well, some, what about the, the bloody the crown the of shiny, thorns, the shiny stones called, the... of Inner Sharon or whatever? The yeah, yeah, that thing that gives was. you the gift of the gab. Uh, <laughs> but you don't need real Turin. ones. Just make them up. Uh... <laughs> See, not so easy, is it? <laughs> Yeah, I guess they didn't have Wikipedia then. They couldn't just look on a list of like artifacts <laughs> and go, "Oh, that's a good one." Um, but it 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 kind of I, I think it's insane that and and then apparently he got really into the idea of doing the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles or whatever it's called. So I was surprised at the extent to which he was involved in that. I I always kind of assumed he just signed a bit of paper and went, "Yeah, go do what you want with." with Indiana Jones hmm. on TV, but it sounds like he was actually quite involved. And so they decided, because of that, to make this the last one, I think? Well, yeah, I did read just now that uh, this uh, sequence was actually part of the inspiration for that young Indiana Jones chronicles. Uh, and the, the, initial, the initial thinking was they were going to make, I think, a series of films starring um, River Phoenix as young Indy, and that developed into, actually, we'll just do a TV show with, like, some nobody. I think he died, actually. I think what? that was what put an end to the films. Oh. <laughs> he, did, he died shortly Selfish. afterwards, didn't he? I think perhaps more than um, uh, Lucas and Ford, I feel like this is like Steven Spielberg's sort of... I think he envisioned this as the last one, and I think mm. you can see in his... like He doesn't do sequels all that much, so to come back for a third is, is saying something, but then not long after this he makes Schindler's List... He sort of, you oh, know, of course finds it impossible to make Nazis yeah. the butt of the joke anymore after that film. So, I mean, I, I think Schindler's List, like, changes him as a filmmaker. Um, and I think he does kind of move away from this sort of rollicking mm. family adventure sort of film into something a bit more, you know, he's making Amistad and whatnot uh, in the 90s. It's a curious kind of... Because it is very clearly meant as the last one. And the biggest indication of that mm. is the title... I know they couldn't call mm. it Indiana Jones and the Holy Grail because Monty Python, but um, mm. <laughs> at the same time, Last Crusade. It's they're following in the footsteps of the Crusaders, and they're going to be the last ones to get there. So it's like the yeah, but it it does it only works as like this double meaning thing. Otherwise, it's like a weird aspect of it to hone in on. Do you not think? 
And it ends with them I mean, riding I think... off into the sunset. It's not exactly conclusive, but it, it I don't know, it does feel very much like this was meant as the end yeah. of a, Yeah. Yeah, I think you series. put the word last in there, it has that meaning. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't ever stop them before, has it? Yeah. Well, that's what I found really interesting. I mean, we won't get into it too much now, but, like, they they pretty much started work on Crystal Skull, like, immediately. <laughs> it's not... I know it took them, like, the better part of 20 years to get Crystal Skull made, and he was old by then, but um, that's just because, you know, it took them forever to land on a, a script that they were happy with. And and thank God they took the time and got it right. <laughs> But uh, I just quickly looked up River Phoenix, and uh, he was definitely alive when the first series of Young Indiana Jones Chronicles was made. So, oh, interesting. Okay, well, in that case, um, I guess he was too expensive. I think he was just too good for them. I think, yeah. I mean, this was sort of a time where his stardom was very much on the rise. I think he's brilliant in this, actually. As uh, young, I do, Indy. yeah, yeah. He captures a little the essence of it. It's really nice. Yeah, I mean, so I know I just complained about the opening there, but. It's a good good action sequence. Yeah. I do enjoy um, it. <laughs> as stupid as it is. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I, I tell you what, if I was a lion tamer, you know where I'd keep my whip? It would be on the other side of the cage <laughs> that the lion's in, behind the lion. Next to the lion, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. then it's right there when you need it. Maybe that's a backup whip. <laughs> in case the lion eats the other one. There were some very realistic-looking <laughs> animals on the train, weren't there, Calvin? I like that giant serpent thing, whatever it is, that just, like, pops up out of the water at one point. It was great. I like I like that this was, like, their, their build-up to Jurassic Park. They were just, mm. just starting to get those animatronics going. Yeah. yeah well, you know, everyone, everyone shits on the CGI uh, groundhog and the CGI monkeys in... Uh, Crystal Skull, but the alternative was these fucking Salem Saberhagen puppets that they use in this one. But somehow it's less annoying here, isn't it? There's a, it's just sort of more forgivable somehow. Uh, well, there were a couple of dodgy uh, like back projection moments as well, or like mm. green screeny bits that definitely didn't hold up very well. But okay, let's let's deal with the action sequence. It's good. Um, it's really young, good. A young young indie. He sees some uh, some bad men stealing an artifact that belongs his, in a museum. Damn it! With his comedy comedy fat sidekick, comedy <laughs> yeah. useless fat sidekick. <laughs> yeah, I could have got more out of that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do wonder to what extent they were like, right? This is going to be his best mate in the prequel movie we've we've got going in our heads. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, 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 it yeah. Got a mate, haven't you? But then, what it begs the question: Why hasn't Indiana Jones ever been paired up with just a big fat imbecile as an adult? Because I'd like to see that. <laughs> There's no way to speak of John Rhys Davis. <laughs> oh, I think they should pair him up with a big fat uh, love interest. <laughs> well, the, we have the action scene, which is pretty dramatic for a, a seventeen-year-old. Uh, almost yeah, dies. Yeah. He whips himself in the face. And Gets that scar. A scar that is. You um, know how I got they, they, these scars. And then, <laughs> and then they they commit to that because Harrison Ford has that scar later on. They have to do that in makeup every day. Uh, I know, right? The, uh, yeah, we. So it's a quite cool action sequence on a train. That's always a classic way of doing things. But what we get at the end is 
Indiana Jones learns an important lesson that life will fuck you uh, and the authorities don't care. <laughs> and But hats are cool. <laughs> That's what he learns as a, as a teenager. We jump forward uh, 26 years, which means Indiana Jones is, what, 43? Uh, I guess. Sounds about right. Well, Harrison Ford certainly wasn't. <laughs> How old was he? 56 or something. God, he looks good he? for his age. I know that there wasn't that much uh, in was between really? him and Sean Connery. I, f- I think there was only like eight years age gap between them in this film. Um, but no, he can't be. He, he was only in his 60s when they made Crystal Skull. Harrison and everyone Ford, made a big uh, thing about Oh, no, 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 you're right. You know, Harrison Ford born 1942. So yeah, he would have been 46, sorry. Okay. Oh, I guess Sean Connery will have been about 12 years older than him then, something like that. Let's have a look. Sean Connery, born in... You should know when he was born. Was it 1930? It is 1930, yes. He does look quite... So, yeah, Sean Connery in this is in his late 50s. Well, he's he's bald at this point, so he's obviously very old, Mm. Sean Connery. That must have hit pretty quickly, I guess. It was a sort of sudden (laughs) baldness. We've looked. We've you've, you've watched all those early Bond films. You know it happens in between Thunderball and you and the twice. Becomes an old man. <laughs> so we jump to Indy in his latest adventure, the man in the white suit, and oh, here we are again. I've got this golden crucifix. It belongs in a museum. More specifically, my museum at my university. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he kills some people. In order to retrieve it. But they're bad guys, so it's alright. Yeah, history's important. Um, I really like this whole thing, um, by the way, just on the subject of Indy getting his persona, really, from this random rogue who isn't on the boat uh, with the guy in the white suit. He just sort of, he's just, presumably interacts with Indy in that one instance, and it just had a, you know, a lasting effect on him, but um, I do quite like it. The, the, it feels it feels appropriate that he would take, you know, something of his persona from this sort of roguish figure, uh, even if he's not on the, you know, right side of him morally. If they made this, if this intro didn't exist... And then they made the exact same intro now as the opening to Dial of Destiny. Everyone would hate it. Everyone <laughs> would be shitting on it for for oh that's how he's that's how he got. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think in in the context of like when this came out, I don't think that that had been too overdone. I can't think of too many instances prior to this film that has a sequence like that. Um, I feel like it's sort of overdone now because we're so inundated with origin stories. But uh... yeah. I think the positive response to it is probably why George Lucas went, "Oh, everyone loves this. They're gonna really love it if I do it with Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do, I'm gonna make a whole movie of that for Star. I'm gonna do three of them for Star Wars. Everyone's gonna love me and." <laughs> You never look back. I do find it a bit on the nose, you know. It's like, oh, all these things happened in one day and it completely shaped him as a person. But, you know, it's a stupid film, isn't it? I think it's a very odd choice to do it in the third film as a kind of arbitrary... I Okay, I suppose what it does is it gives us a glimpse of his dynamic with his dad growing up. Maybe that's the justification for it. Well, I think oh, in, yeah, in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. this story, that's it, really, for that small mm, moment. Mm. In terms of this potentially being seen as the final instalment of a trilogy, I think it makes sense in a broader context of like, oh, well, wouldn't it be fun to see, you know, how he did pick up all these things a bit more about the history of the character that you don't really get in the other two films. But obviously, if it, it feels weirder now knowing that Crystal Skull and Dial of Destiny come after it. 
I, I just, I feel like I'd rather not know Indiana Jones' backstory too much. I kind of like him being more of a an enigma. I, I think it's interesting because Indiana Jones, that we've seen in the previous films, it has this duality of like the Tweed University professor and the rollicking adventure man. And we see in this film, while we're going to see, that that academic side is his dad. That's that's where he's got that from. You know, that's that's his upbringing. So where mm-hmm. does the where does the other side come from? Because his dad's not in the field. Oh, uh, we need to uh, we need to do one where we see his mum. Ooh, I bet I bet she's a useless character who doesn't do I anything. Bet, no, I bet she's I bet she's spunky. Hmm. I bet she's I bet she's coded as spunky but doesn't actually do anything and Indiana Jones mm. has to carry her away from mm. some rats. <laughs> Maybe. No, it, 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 the mum the mum's dead, isn't she? So it'd have to be it'll have to be Indiana Jones 6 where they um which they absolutely will make by the way, but it'll be a a prequel. Probably be after George Lucas and Spielberg and Harrison Ford are all dead as well. Maybe that's what he's ultimately searching for, the ghost of his mother. And then he mm. finds her. Well, there, there, you know, not to get ahead, there was a point where Indiana Jones 4 was being developed as a kind of haunted house movie, <laughs> I believe. So, mm. um, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. So we, we have this prequel setup sequence, um, and then we kind of get on with the movie proper, don't we? Right. Yeah. Which is, we have Denim Elliott again. Hooray! I thought he was going to do more in this film. He doesn't really do very much. Well, in, in terms of plot, he doesn't do much, but he's very much, like, the character's almost completely different from Raiders. He's a very a bumbling well, he's got oaf, a character, really. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah he's, he's there for comedic relief more than anything else. Um, yeah. But I, I do think he's very funny in this film. Uh, I like him an awful lot. He's all right. This felt like when they're trying to bring all back the old favourites, but then... Denim Elliott's barely in the first one, really. Is yeah. But mm. then it, it's, it was even worse with Salah, because they bring him back. He doesn't do anything, really. But it's just like, oh, remember Salah from the first film? Yay. That's it. Mm. That's all we get from that. Oh, <laughs> just wait until you see Dial of Destiny, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, we need a bit more than that, I think. Uh, I love seeing them back. Uh, it's obvious. It's definitely trying to uh, recapture some of that Raiders spirit, particularly as the Temple of Doom had a bit of a mixed uh, re- reception when it came out. I think they want to sort of recapture the the uh, the spirit of the first one that everyone loved and bringing these characters back. But again, I think that they're both really funny in this film. I, I really like them um, along for the ride. I do like that it's basically indie and then a bunch of comedic relief sort of tagging along for mm. much of the second well, half see, of the film. This, it absolutely, to me, feels like, oh, people like the first one. Let's bring things back from the first one. And then just plonk them in with no kind of regard to what it is. There's no thought behind it. It's just box ticking. It's crap writing, basically. <laughs> That's my theory. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they they do serve a per. You know, it is you know Marcus is kidnapped. Oh, yeah. He is a motivation. Um, uh, what's his name? Sala provides tramp. Yeah, like, they they do have sort of some narrative purpose. And you know, back in this location again, it makes sense that Sala would be here. I think it would just be a, a like a nameless character who had like a line or two. You know, if it wasn't Sala, mm-hmm. like I don't feel as if they've crowbarred him in too egregiously. But yeah, like it's just very much like it's like at the start of the SpongeBob movie when they're like, "Oh, let's just pop Squidward in here." So we, you know, everyone everyone wants to see Squidward. So let's just make sure he's all right. They're done. Tick, he's in it. Well, we get we we do have a woman 
a woman. All the films have to have one woman who doesn't do anything. I really, I mean, this this talk about Bond girls, right? <laughs> they were like, right, let's make sure she's got a shit accent. <laughs> isn't uh, clearly isn't her real accent. Do you know Actually, that's who... not James Bond, is it? In James Bond, it's usually their real accent, isn't it? Um, in in this, I found it so jarring how she has a an Austrian accent, but she is clearly not an Austrian woman. She's Irish. Because nowadays it would just be Diane Kruger, but I guess we didn't have German actors to to pull from in the in the eighties, and maybe maybe. Maybe not because of this, but like getting ahead of ourselves here. But the twist is, oh, that uh, that Austrian woman <laughs> that was on their side. You'll never guess what this movie about the Nazis. She's only She's a bloody Nazi. Nazi. All right, let me ask you a question here because I couldn't tell if we were supposed to find that a surprise and it was just really yeah, I couldn't. Done, I was really, or if it was a really kind of like, look, we the audience know. And it's wait, we're waiting for Indiana to find out. Everyone because with an Austrian was, accent's a Nazi. But it was <laughs> it wasn't just that. It was like every time she did something, there was sort of a slow pan to her, where yeah, yeah, yeah. like a kind of it was like murder she wrote sort of um, plotting. It was <laughs> it was so obvious that there was something sinister going on that I thought it was going to be a mm. bit of a double bluff. But uh, yeah, and I really hated her as a character. She just seemed like the most pointless annoying, lame addition to the cast, up until the reveal that actually she's a baddie. And then I quite liked her, actually. I think She's probably my favourite love interest of the three original Indiana Jones movies. Mm. Do they do no, a couple I, I... of interest here? They kind of they kind of kiss in a sort of ironic way, but did it turn into a proper love interest? I don't think it did, really. She's his in yeah, because they not only did uh, not only have they shagged because then they get all a bit weird about it because because uh, Indy and yeah yeah yeah. Um, there's a few moments where he's kind of like you know they have a little embrace or he you know can't bring himself to. Kill Let it. her be harmed and what have you. Yeah, yeah. I, I think she is meant as a romantic interest, but I think the reason I find it more interesting is because they don't really... She's got more going on than that. She's not just a romantic interest, really, but she's filling that role within this film. She's the, the indie girl for this one. She's not even really a Nazi. Like, she's not on board with their ideology. She is this kind of... Well... Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's a Nazi, but she feels quite bad about it, actually. Deep down. That's what I quite liked about her, was she she didn't... I don't think... The impression I get is that she's just kind of self-serving. She's got her own motivations that largely align with what the Nazis are doing in some ways, but not in others. And she's willing to kind of compromise her own beliefs quite happily in order to, you know, get what she wants. And I don't know, I quite like that. Hmm. She she was more more of a grey area than than you typically get in this kind of... She's bad enough that she has to die at the end. So, you know, it's not all... She's definitely not without moral sin. Yeah, like but she doesn't, she doesn't die because of being a Nazi. She dies because she wants the the artifact for herself. Like, that's... Greed. Yeah. Because that's what I mean. Like, they, they, the, the obvious way to write it would be like... I need to bring this back to the the Führer and the the father, you know, and the fatherland and all that. 
Um, and they don't. That she's kind of like, oh, I agree with you, Indy. It really should be in a museum. Let's. <laughs> I really want to get it for a museum. Ah! But there's no. But that's the thing. Is there's none of the baddies in this are like proper Nazis. They're all like just a a, a foreign man who's working with the Nazis <laughs> to serve their own interests. It's like, yeah, look, I'm trying to get this for my museum, and the Nazis. Well, you know about Hitler's pain. in this movie, Alan. Well, Hitler comes across very well in this. I think he does actually. <laughs> <laughs> For a Steven Spielberg movie. Is this the only Spielberg movie that Hitler himself is in? Is he in Schindler's List? I don't think he is, is he? But yeah, Hitler seems like he's, he likes to give the fans a bit of time, gives a little autograph. He appreciates that fans are what make you the success that you are when you're, when you're someone like that. And he never forgets his roots, never forgets where he came from. You know when Tom Cruise goes around glad-handing everyone? It's always like the kids, uh, and then the, like, the ones that look good on the pictures. Not not for Hitler, good old Hitler. Big old <laughs> six-foot-two man. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny that you brought up about Alison Doody uh, in the context Alison of Bond Girl, Doody. because that's her real name. I know, um, imagine that. She- <laughs> she is actually a minor character in A View to a Kill, and so you will know her as the uh, character who shouldn't be living in Pierce Brosnan's <laughs> home in Taffy. I knew that name was familiar. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you shouldn't be living here, Alison Duder. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, but what would... While we're talking about the villains, because at this early point in the film, we do have the big data dump, uh, which is mainly from Marcus Brody, and the, I guess, the main villain of the film, Julian Glover's Walter Donovan, uh, an American who's sort of in league with the Nazis. Oh, yeah, I kept, I kept, like, forgetting that, I'll be honest, I really struggled to remember that Walter Donovan and Marcus Brody were separate characters. (laughs) <laughs> like we we get to a point in the third act where they're both knocking around, and I was like, "Wait, what? oh right, they're different." Okay, okay, he's different because they're both just yeah. like they're both just like annoying old white men. <laughs> it was just like, uh, couldn't we have given one of them a mustache or something? Yeah, I don't think he's a very strong or memorable villain. It reminded me of the guy out of Raiders, who we felt was a very bland kind of yep. villain as well. Um, yeah, it's a shame, really, that these films don't really have... Even Temple of Doom, like, I guess they have that priest who's very memorable, but he's not, like, a mastermind major villain sort of character. Yeah. Uh, these films really do lack that, even if they do have memorable... Like, I think Elsa's very good here. I think the bold guy's really memorable in Raiders, but they're, you know, hench people, if anything. Yeah, yeah, they're very hench. Calvin, Julian Glover must have been in a Bond they're, film they're too, tonk, over, the, mate. over the years. They're fucking peng. <laughs> Julian Glover was the main villain in For Your Eyes Only, and he's also in Star Wars. Um, so is he, that the, he and Game of Thrones. He's got is a lot that of the Lazenby cred. one? Uh, no, it's a Roger one. Right, it's called. It's pronounced Rogue One, Calvin. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Just speaking of a couple of spots, I I made. Sitcom related, well, British co- comedy related. We oh, just good Alexi Lord, Sale as as some sort of scouse. I I was watching the film and I thought, God, whoever they've got playing this guy is like can't <laughs> do the accent. Like, either. Why What's is Omid Jalili in this film? Young. Let me find my note because I it really I was like, what is going on with this fucking character? Why is this so shit? Like this film so far has been great. And who, now who this is part this is terrible. Alexi Sale. And then I looked it up, and who it was Alexi play? Sale, and I was like, oh, of course. 
Because that's what he does, isn't he? He turns up in good stuff as the worst thing in it and does a really <laughs> shit job. <laughs> and then, and like, and, and whatever you're watching stops dead for like a minute while he's in it. And then he fucks it's, off never to be seen again. And uh, Calvin, people love him. It's, it's the bit where, Calvin, it's the bit where. He's the um, Sultan. The, the Julian Glover is like trying to pay off oh. some, uh, yeah, Sultan. And he's like, all right, I like your car, mate. Can I have your car instead of all this gunplay? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. And the other one is that you know the little guy in affairs who chases him on a boat? And he's going oh, to yes. throw him in the propellers. And he was like, oh, you can throw me in if you want. I'm all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that guy, um, he played the Greek character in Mind Your Language, the popular <laughs> ITV sitcom yeah. where loads of people played people of nationalities that were not their own. Um, so here he's playing, what is he, Moroccan or Egyptian or something like that? Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. He's, not, he's not from there either. Uh, he's Armenian, I believe, the actor. But yeah, he was. Uh, mm. I spotted him as well, like his big moustache. I was like, oh, I recognise that. I found my Alexa mm. Sale note here, and I wrote down that it feels like they asked someone to improv, and it turned out that they didn't know how to improv. <laughs> and then I looked it up, and it was Alexi Sale, and it all made sense. Hmm. So after all of the uh, exposition... Uh, Venice is the first sort of yes. main location. Uh, lots okay. of stuff going on here, uh, which I I really like. Um, Albert Einstein's yeah. there in the library. <laughs> <laughs> Just an old man with white hair. <laughs> well, I guarantee you. I guarantee you, the actor playing that librarian has like done work as an Albert Einstein like lookalike. <laughs> <laughs> Something that's always confused me about this, or it did when I was a kid anyway, This we get the uh, the creepy, crawly uh, scene in this film, which is all these rats, which are in this tomb beneath the library. Um, and the tomb is flooded with petrol? Is that correct? Right, yeah. Well, he certainly implies that, and then uses it to light a, a flame after dousing all his clothes in petrol. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because they have a, an open flame, like, torch, uh, guiding mm. their way, which seems very misguided in such an environment. Mm. Um, the, 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 whatever the substance is, is indeed lit, but I'm kind of like, wouldn't, like, they dive underneath it to avoid the flames, but I'm like, wouldn't that, wouldn't it all still be burning? Wouldn't it still, you certainly wouldn't I mean, be able it to would open burn above it, them for... Yeah, 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 hours. the, the, the pe- petrol and substances like that float to the top of the water cabin so they'll they'll burn on top but the whole the water is not going to set on fire it's like when you have a it's like when you have a cocktail and they they set the top on fire like a flaming mo you know but this is my question like is so it is just like a layer of petrol on top of water because yeah. i always sort of read it as like the whole thing is just petrol they're basically wading through no uh, it's 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 flammable it's, liquid no, it's that'd be that'd be insane amounts of petrol. Yeah, I don't know where it would come from, but I mean, it, it's still a question. You know, do not light a great big flame that's dripping hot stuff on that. Well, he he knows exactly what's happened when 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 the bad guys light it up. He looks at the corner and he kind of hears the fire coming. He doesn't even see it yet, and he's like, oh, "That thing I knew was going to happen's happened." Because then he dives underwater and grabs the boat. So he's obviously like gone in there paranoid that they're all going to get set on fire and die. Hmm. He knew it was a silly thing to do. He was and like, he did oh, it anyway. 
I'm always doing this. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> Got a problem. But it is, it is, yeah, I mean, he's he literally dips his hand into the petrol. It's all over his suit. And then he uses that hand to light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not a good idea. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say, I looked up the actor who plays the librarian, okay? He's got six credits, all in the 80s. Those are quite an old man. Oh. The very first thing he's done is a film called Bullshot, playing Albert Einstein. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. One of his other credits is in a, a, a music video playing The Scientist. <laughs> he's also in a Kate Bush video. So that, you know. And then one of his, la- his last credit is in Batman, uh, the film, as Crime Lord number three, uncredited. So oh, that's, that's also, a weird one. He's uncredited in everything he's done, by the way, apart from Bullshot, where he played Albert Einstein. <laughs> oh. So it's clear, clearly they found someone looked like Einstein for this very specific role, and then he thought, oh, maybe I could do a bit of acting, and he did some extra work for the next five years. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> it's basically what happened. I like, that he, I like that he broke out of the scientist typecast for Batman to become a mob yeah. boss. Like, that's, <laughs> you know, good for him. That Albert Einstein stamp scene... Is that is the most Calvin thing I have ever seen? In my life. <laughs> when I was watching it, I was just Why? thinking, "This is just—it's like someone reached into Calvin's id and just found like <laughs> like the most pure, <laughs> pure cinematic joy that Calvin would love." An old an old man looking like Einstein getting perplexed by a stamp. <laughs> I, I did love it. Mildly annoyed by it, but a bit confused. Because <laughs> he thinks it's making such a big sound, but it's not. <laughs> Do you know what, right, though? This, this whole bit. <laughs> I was really, like, getting into it here. It was like, oh, yeah, we're going to have, like, a Da Vinci Code style kind of thing. They're yeah, chasing around. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, look, there it is. Smash the floor. Smash <laughs> yeah, this marble floor. No problem. <laughs> And then it was done. Yeah. Well, I kept thinking, what's his plan? What's his plan if this is wrong? If his hunch is wrong, and he's just like smashed up this like <laughs> stone slab on the floor? They're just gonna like sneak out, <laughs> make sure no one. It was. Uh... Uh, so I made the note here. Actually, the the lightning pacing of Raiders is back. I do feel like mm. this film moves very very quickly. It's great. Mm. Oh, compared with Temple of Doom, where they spend so much sort of meandering around, yeah, I think this really, yeah, it, it mm. moves very quickly. Yeah, and then Harrison Ford turns up at the house. He does a, he does a Scottish accent, <laughs> like uh, like when I panicked at the urinal in Glasgow earlier this year. I remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Were you panicked and just inexplicably did a Scottish accent to speak with a local? Because the guy next to me started talking in Scottish and I didn't know what he was saying and it was like a local pub and I was like, oh, he's going to beat me up if he knows I'm English. I'll do the <laughs> Scottish accent. But isn't it weird, isn't it weird that his Scottish character is like, it's like, it's deliberately bad. Like that's a, it's a gag and the butler doesn't fall for it. But he's of Scottish heritage, Indiana Jones, clearly. So... You'd think you'd be able to... <laughs> you must be better at doing it than that. I mean, everyone can do a Connery voice. Yeah, well, um, Sean Connery, actually, uh, I think he cites this as like his favourite film uh, that he, he, he by he far was in. his best work. By far. Oh. 
I mean, I think he's brilliant, and he brought a lot to it, like, listening to some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. I think George Lucas thought of the character, and I think you can tell it's written this way in a lot of places, just very strict, authoritarian, mm. no-nonsense, no-humour kind of thing, whereas Connery brings in this sort of crackpot um, element to it. He's wacky and eccentric. But, I, but I, just well, the yeah, right I, amount? He doesn't, he doesn't lose the sort of academic authoritarian vibe either. I think it's, it is a nice balance. I think he's great in this, actually. I really, I really liked what he was doing. I think he brings a mm. hell of a lot to it. I, I don't think someone else in the role would have necessarily been able to, to pull it off to that extent. He, he, he has some great lines in this film as well. I mean, I, I you mm. know, I've, I've seen this film a few times before, but I, I did forget how there's some really good humor in it, and a lot of it is just the dialogue. My favorite line in the whole thing, po- possibly with the whole franchise, is. Uh, I should have mailed it to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, I, I'm completely with you. I love Connery in this. I think his, uh, you know, the the chemistry with Harrison Ford is brilliant. They've just got so many wonderful lines and moments together. It, it is, it, I mean, it, it's goofy. Like, I, you know, it's the Nazis come in and say, Dr. Jones, and they both respond, yes. And, uh... I like when um, Indy's trying to find their way out of that room and he just sits in a chair and unlocks a secret passage by accident. I think all that stuff's really great. I, yeah, love all the double act stuff. Oh my god, when they get tied to the chair and the room's on fire. And, uh, oh, I love that. How he fucks up because he drops the lighter and then he's blowing it and he d- he can't admit to his son that he's set the room on fire. So it just, was very, yeah. um, it was very Laurel and Hardy, wasn't it? I am skipping ahead here, but my favourite sort of funny moment of the whole film is, is later when he, on when they're when in the plane. The back yes! of the plane off. And then he goes, I love it. Some, some, some moron shot the back of the fucking plane off, Indy. <laughs> no, it's great because it sets it up like he's got to have this sort of like, sorry, you know, he says, sorry to tell this, sorry to say this to your son kind of thing. And then he's like, they got us. It's just, oh, brilliant. I love it. Uh, he's uh, Their dynamic's great. He's a really fun character. He's 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 probably my favorite character in the franchise, mm-hmm. other than maybe the Nazi monkey because you know he's a, he's a monkey, isn't he? You can't compete with a monkey. You can't. You can't beat that. I did notice. I was complaining about the the Star Wars music being used throughout Temple of Doom, even though Temple of Doom mm. predated it. Keeps bloody doing it in this as well, doesn't he? I don't know if it's oh, like I, the it, Henry the Henry Jones theme, but it keeps doing the da na 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 na. Oh, uh, I thought you were talking about because there's this little sort of like Nazi theme that sort of pops up around this time in the film that I really like. It's that dun 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 da 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 like that. I really like that. It comes on whenever a Nazi appears on screen from uh, this point of the film onwards. Alan, you hate fun things. How do you feel about uh, Sean Connery in this film? <laughs> no, I like him. I, as we've said, I think it's a really nice balance of maintaining that character, not making him a comedy character, but having fun with it. That that's you know what that's just it because I think I'd find him grating if he was just comet relief and nothing else. But he, he's also the emotional crux of this mm. film is that character at the same time. You know, it, it, he's doing both. It's a two hander. He's like a mm. he's like a he's like a classic episode mm. of Futurama. <laughs> Very much like uh, short round in the last film. achieves much the same thing I do think that this film has the most heart out of all of the indie films I've seen Dial of Destiny at this point so I I, I feel quite you know, confident in that. This is the one that I feel the most invested in maybe because it's a father and son story yeah so uh... is Crystal Skull 
Mott Williams. Less less impressed with that one. Um, <laughs> oh, you don't like that one, do you? But here oh. I think it works really nicely. There's so many, even just like, when it's just the two of them sparring off each other. Like I love the bit on the airship where he says something, oh, we've never even had a conversation. And Connery's like, all right then, what do you want to talk about? And, yeah. you know, I, I love that bit so much. I yeah, like the way... Great. There's like a slow character arc of getting less useless throughout the film, where Sean Connery starts <laughs> like trying to help out, and he act- he's actually useful when when the airplanes are chasing them, and he he scares the seagulls off doing his Charlemagne, and he's really <clears throat> pleased with himself. Like I actually helped out. I actually didn't fuck it up. Sean, look at me. It's great. Yeah, I love that bit. That that's just a wonderful shot. I love the music where he's just sort of he's got the umbrella up, he's just strolling along and Indy's just a bit flabbergasted. I love that the uh the the estranged father and son reconnect over having had sex with the same woman as well. I think that's really nice for a for a mainstream family blockbuster in nineteen eighty nine. I like that that's how they chose to approach this. It's another aspect of that dad character that you wouldn't I, I don't know, it's it's not the obvious thing to do with that character, mm. I don't think. Oh yes, that he'd be sleeping around as well. Um, well, even that's done in a comedic way, where she she uh, <laughs> she whispers like, I had a great t- time having sex with you. <laughs> and then and then he goes, oh, I'll tell you what, love, you weren't too bad yourself. And then Harrison Ford's like, disgusting, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Another one of my favourite uh, comedic moments is when Indy's really bigging up Marcus, saying yeah. like, oh, he can speak tw- a dozen languages, and then just the cut to him befuddled. And very relatable, I'm, I'm, I feel the same <laughs> in, my, in those situations. Does anyone here speak English? <laughs> I think Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, quite possibly the best comedy of 1989. Hmm. Name, a, name a funnier film. Back to the Future Part 2, you're having a laugh. Was Ghostbusters 2 that year as well? Probably. <laughs> well, I want to, I have to say, when I watched this again last night, it didn't particularly grip me. I, I definitely got lost in it somewhere. And you know, sometimes it's, you're not watching in ideal circumstances or whatever, but it, I definitely was just like, oh yeah, another action so you can say, okay, right, what's that, what's next? And I was like waiting for them to get to mm. the bit where they have to do, go choose the right goblet and i was like yeah come on get on with this mm. i think it is when we get to that whole um tank sequence in the desert that it it does i i it doesn't drag for me but i can see how it would for other people because i think there's a lot of like hopping on and off the tanks and who's captured and that's where it lost me last time and the the pacing kind of fell apart similar to raiders where it was like really zippy and then it just little bit baggy in the in the tail end of the film but i don't mm. know this time it, it didn't really it did lose me very 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 near the end like i think literally the final scene before they get to the grail bit mm. i think i was mm. like all right get on with it and then it did get yeah. on with it so it's fine but all this all this stuff on the airship no ticket oh Yes. Did it annoy you though that he says it in English? Because I was kind of like, how hard would it have been to just have him be like, kind ticket? And they <laughs> like were going, oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> later on they have an unsubtitled bit of German when, a, when, when Indiana Jones gets his face pushed into a periscope and there's like a very camp German man. And then he says something like, oh, oh, that's Americana. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they laugh about it. And it, uh, he says something like, the Americans fight like girls or something. I mean, they have a quick moment where everyone thinks Indiana Jones is dead. And I think this is why this film's full of 
British sitcom stars because they were they were also writing loads of sitcom scenes into the film. <laughs> and this is your classic sitcom scene where they think someone's dead and they walk up behind all the people who are grieving them, like and start grieving with them, like, Who 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 died? What's going on? And they're like, You, you idiot. Wait a minute. <laughs> I do love it. Like the, I like the gag, but I like even more that it gives them an emotional moment. Yeah. I think Connor yeah, is yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. "I thought I'd lost you, boy." Is like, oh, it, it just it works so nicely. I think yeah, it's I agree. Really it's great a, in that moment. Yeah, really nice little. It just it needed that little emotional reconciliation with them ahead of the following scene, and it, it could have been mm. a bit on the nose or clunky or uh, contrived or out of nowhere, but it, it just, yeah, it plays really well. It's it's light, fun, believable, the characters without that way. It's, yeah, it's good. Mm. Good film, this, actually. I quite like it. And then we, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah, we move on to the final bit, which is, um, this is what I think of when I think of Last Crusade, this whole final yeah. bit where they go and find but, the grail. And... But also in my head, it was more, there was more to it. There was more of a like, oh, we have to solve this. Yeah, yeah, same. Actually, really, quite quickly, just gets there and that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I've I've seen this film countless times on like ITV two or something, and I'll usually tune in, and uh, it'll be this final bit. So when I say I've seen it countless (laughs) times, I don't mean the full film. I mean I've watched this ending, Uh, and that's why I think there was a real fondness for this film why it was my favorite of the indiana jones movies for a while as a uh kid because i was just very familiar with this last bit and then i think it was when i last watched the film properly and was sort of like oh there's all this stuff before that bit that i've got to sit through <laughs> yeah this is the iconic bit he uh sean connery gets shot just to like put a ticking clock on things yeah, yeah, it just creates the the drama, yeah, that's, that's alright. We watch him having to do his archaeology powers, which he's not been doing for a bit. And it's good, because it's, it's, we, 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 we haven't really had a scene, to me, Indiana Jones is the opening of Raiders, he's, you know, going through, figuring out the traps, making an yeah. escape, hmm. and it really, like, it bookends the trilogy, we, we end on one of them, essentially, you know? Hmm, that's really, I've never thought about that, but yeah, no, you bang on, yeah. It's really nice. But it, it does feel like when you get parody of this thing, like on, I don't know, Family Guy, something like that, well, they'll do a scene where they have to <laughs> evade all the traps, and there's more going on in those than there is in this. Like I think that's why in my head it feels like, yeah. oh, he's got to go through this, and then some arrows will shoot him, and then this will happen, and then it's like, oh, no, there's, what, is there two things? Uh, duck under the blades, yeah. don't step on the stones that collapse. Duck under the blades... Answer the trivia question of what his name is. That's what I like with it. It was like a quiz. It was like a really high stakes pub quiz. What's his What's his name? Don't Don't do. It's like QI. If you get the wrong one, because there's some like tricky <laughs> ones that you might think he's called this. If you do the wrong one, you're gonna fall to your death. Jehovah spelt with an I. Yeah. Yeah, but that's it. It's like one of those quizzes where you know you have two people answering the questions and one of them's in like a soundproof booth. So they can't hear, because then you've got you've got his dad going. Oh, but it, it starts with an I. He's not going to remember that. He's an idiot. And then and then there's the the leap of faith annoyed me a bit on the rewatch. That was my favourite part of this film. I remembered that and thought like, yeah. wow, wow. But it annoyed me in this because you don't need to make a leap of faith. Yeah, you, you could can just, just sort like of put reach your hand forward, and feel, sort of oh, tap this. your foot down, and go oh. Oh yeah, it's an optical illusion. <laughs> but I think the reason it works for people, the reason that sequence is so good, is the effect of the um, illusion on that thing. It's just a really, mm. 
effective. Yeah. The camera turns. You go, oh, I thought we were dealing with outright magic. And we're not. We're dealing with, mm. like, a really cool little thing. All right. Mm. And then he chucks sand on it so you can, like, see it. <laughs> What's that about? Well, he wants to make sure well, the Nazis so, can the... get there easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're and following him, that, so it's... But it, it, doesn't, it looks like the sand is, like, floating on an invisible platform when he does it. It doesn't look like it's... <laughs> I would have had words with the effects team about that. <laughs> so it's a great, great to... scene, though. I love it. He does. He, he finally gets to this cavern, and there's a 700 year old man there. He's pretty. Yeah, that, what's that by about? That. He's, he <laughs> just takes that in his stride. He's not a bother. Yeah, yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the old man like comes at him and goes Ooh! and like falls over immediately. It's like, re- like what was <laughs> what was the plan here? You, you, you. You're sitting here for 700 years to guard this grail, and you've not even got, like, a gun. Yeah, but that's the first time he stood up in 600 years. He got, he went dizzy. stood up too fast. <laughs> yeah, so what, you, what else are you doing? He should be he should be working out, doing crunches every day, pull-ups. He's got nothing else on. It's like prison. <laughs> I like that he gives up really easily. It's like he falls over, and then he's twindy, like, all right, you're the guardian now. You uh, take yeah, my that, sword. That, that's the thing. It's shift. like... Oh, you've, you've bested me in combat. I think that's what he's doing. He's just like, whoever turns up, I'm going to let them beat me so that I can die. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. Someone release me I from this leave. living hell. He's going to have such a shock when he leaves and there's like zeppelins and stuff. No, it's because he'll, he'll, he'll start chatting to the Nazis and go, actually, yes, that's, I like I like your thinking. There's some good ideas here. <laughs> but he can't ever leave, can he? Because he'll die the second he leaves. Isn't that the implication? That's the, uh, the, the the curse and the of the thing, or at least well, he has to keep drinking from the chalice, so we'll die like tomorrow from old age if he doesn't drink from it. Shall we um t- talk about that? Because as a kid, I always thought that the the end of this film meant that Indy and his dad were going to live forever now. Because I miss there there is a bit of dialogue about you can't you know its power doesn't extend beyond the seal sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, and that um, really fucked me off because it's like well he was dying of a gun wound, so shouldn't he just drop dead when they step out of the cave? <laughs> yeah. He's healed by that point. And any other, like his dodgy kidneys have healed as well. Didn't have kidney stones anymore. So they could open up a hospital on that spot, and it'd be really good, because everyone would just be able to come in. Like You wouldn't live forever, but you'd take a sip of it and... You got cancer? Hey, it's gone. Boom. Yeah. Takes Boom. it out. Yeah, that'd be good. Heart attack? Don't worry about that. Just get it really quick. <laughs> But yeah, I, th- I think it is slightly confusing that this it it's a yeah it's a bit of a mulligan that you have to accept just mm. to sort of you know, because they they clearly don't want Indy and his dad to be immortal because that would presumably be a bit ridiculous. So what would have been really good would have been if he took his sip from the elixir of life and then they popped a little toupee on him. <laughs> made him look like a dapping young man. <laughs> that would have been great. Dyed his beard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know what I was expecting, right? And I, I couldn't quite remember the full details, so I wasn't sure if this was going to But I thought what was going to happen was that old Henry Jones was going to take the place of the knight and then just kind of live in this protecting the Holy Grail oh, forever. That would have been so much better. Mm, because it had right. been his life's work and then it would be like a good way to get him out of the way, And but he's not dying. But if he yeah. leaves, he dies because he's got a bullet hole in him or whatever. Because what really... Um, what really struck me with this film is that that night sat in that hole for 700 years without a tv not even got a radio <laughs> nothing to do not even got a crossword book <laughs> probably got a bible he probably had a crossword book but he finished it in the first year he was there and then he's got like that's so you do it in pencil so you can rub it out and do them again later 
<laughs> he's done that. That he's made this profound sacrifice, and then one day, fucking Harrison Ford turns up. My dad's been shot, and you go, "Okay, um, you're, you, I guess <laughs> what does you're that here." Mean? To... Shot with what? <laughs> uh, an arrow? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and you go, "Right, okay, well, um, you know, look, I'm doing this for a reason. Uh, I'm, I'm protecting this this thing for God, for Jesus." Then a Nazi runs in, dies in front of you, and then they blow the whole place up and they drop your cup you've been guarding for seven hundred years in a hole. <laughs> and they fuck off and you're just left there to die and you look at him across the chasm like what 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 do you call this do you fucking mind want to help me clean up or something no you're just gonna leave are you i'm just gonna die in this pile of rocks now i do wonder if he presumably he has to go and retrieve it because his whole sort of shtick is that he has to guard it but how's he gonna do that he couldn't lift a sword yeah but he can't die (laughs) He can, because he's not got the, the things at the bottom of the hole. This is where he has to find it. Yeah, but if he he needs that to get his his strength from the cup. If he falls on the way down there, which he's probably going to do, he's dead. Well, it wouldn't be dead, because he lives forever, but it'd just be broken. And then he'd have to li- live <laughs> in the crevasse. No, he'd die, because he needs to drink from it again to heal the broken bones and everything. So he, need to, he, he needs to aim for it, so he can, like... <laughs> land his mouth on the cup when he drops down there, then he'll be alright. Oh, he'll need to bring water as well, because it's empty. <laughs> he can, I reckon he can just spit in it, drink that back. <laughs> but the- Although he looked very dry, didn't he? He's probably not got any saliva. <laughs> <laughs> but the magic water, does it gives you, it gives you youth? Not youth. It gives you eternal life, but can you be killed? Like, you don't die of old age, but can you be, like, shot in the head? Is it like in Death Becomes Her, when Meryl Streep and Goldie Horn like, get blasted through the stomach and stuff, and they've just got a big hole in them, but they're still alive? So yeah. it's like... Possibly. I mean, I imagine it would reheal because that's what happens with a gun wound. It just, like, <laughs> magic's over, doesn't it? <laughs> Sorry, I'm just thinking about... I've never thought of it from the knight's perspective of, like... <laughs> Been here I'd be so fucked years up. And you come in in one hour and just, <laughs> just everything destroy up. the place. <laughs> I would. It would be good if he if he came in and he goes. He, the knight goes. Ah, oh, tell me what has happened the last seven hundred years. Did we, did we succeed in killing all the Muslims and taking over the Holy Land? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the Crusade. We were successful. So I like how. Um... The the Nazi guy comes in and he's like, "Oh, mate, I know exactly which one of these cups it is. It's obviously that one because that's the best one, isn't it?" Well, no, well, he no, she picks it, it, no, it for it's, him. Um, the old doody woman, she stitches him right up. That's how we know she's not a true Nazi. Yeah, yeah she's yeah, on yeah. Indy's side all along. And and it's funny because I what I thought he was just gonna die or something, but instead he turns into Christopher Lloyd, which seems like <laughs> an odd decision. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Um, it's interesting, actually, that bit, because I think it's somewhat... Amb- is it ambiguous as to whether or not she knows that she's killing him oh, by no, she picking that knows. cup? I think yeah, it's... I um, right. She gives a little a little look to Indy that seems very much mm. like, oh, okay, that's like a trust me, I know what I'm doing kind of thing. She doesn't even sell yeah. it well, because she's she just... She doesn't, like, justify her choice. She's just like, oh, it's that one. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she could have just given it a, is bit very of spiel, sparkly. Given a bit of spiel. Well, yeah, because the guy, the guy goes, of course it's that one. It's got the most jewels. It's the best one. <laughs> Jesus loved jewels. <laughs> the, we have a bit where they're all escaping because the hmm. place is falling apart because, mm-hmm. um, because Elsa's tried to take the grail across the uh, seal. Mm. Which is a bit annoying because the, the, the knight says... 
you can't take the grail out of this place. Mm. And the way he says it, it sounds like it's magic, like its power won't work or it'll disintegrate. What he actually mm. means is it will trigger a self-destruct mechanism <laughs> on the temple and you've got about <laughs> five minutes to escape. And you probably could actually take it out of here if it had your wits about you and you just ran. But, um, maybe it's both. Maybe it, maybe, you know. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but of course we end up in a, a, a shot where um, the, the grail sort of falls to a little ledge halfway down the chasm. Indiana Jones sort of tries to grab it. No, no, Elsa tries to grab it, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's Elsa first. He's got a hold of her, yeah. Yeah, he goes and grabs her. She she climbs up, but then he he's trying to grab it. Uh, he learns nothing. And uh, Sean Connery comes along, grabs him, and he's like, I can nearly reach it, Dad. I can nearly reach it. Let it go, Sean. That trope of the guy who can't let go of the heavy gold to save his life. So he drowns But then with the, it. You know, the power of his relationship with his father brings him back around. Um, he says, "He says, just let it go. Did you like that? Mm. I, I love it. I, I think it's... Particularly when, you know, the, the whole... Uh, the whole obsession with the Grail started with his dad. Like, his dad was obsessed with finding it. The fact that it's his dad sort of telling him to let it go. Because as much as I do think that Indy is transfixed by the the power of the Grail in that moment, I think a part of the reason why he's so keen to get it is to... He knows that it means it would mean a lot to his dad. And I think the fact that it's his dad telling him to let it go, I think it just... I think it works on multiple levels. I think it's lovely. But he could have taken his hat off and, like, scooped it up in that. <laughs> yep. Alright. Uh so <laughs> It would have ruined the fourth movie, wouldn't it, if you had a, a holy grail. I love the ending that we get with Indy and his dad and his friends outside and Marcus, you know, bumbling idiot goes running off on his horse and the other characters have to go after him. I think it's a lovely ending. Literally like going off into the sunset, like it's such a like perfect sort of if this was the last film, it's kinda perfect. Uh mm. even with you know, if you do have some ambiguity about are they gonna live forever or not? Like it's just such a nice kind of yeah, they're just immortal now, they're off into the sunset. Brilliant. They are. They're gonna live forever in our hearts. <laughs> Let's hope they don't mm. make another film and ruin it. <laughs> Well, I'm sure. I'm sure if they do make another one, they wouldn't just immediately kill off Sean Connery's character just to like make it cleaner, get him out of the way. Mm. I'm sure they'd uh, pay that a bit more reverence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. There's like a real purity of simplicity, I think, about Raiders of the Lost Ark that I respond to. It's such a just like it's down the line. It's just mm. we are going on a quest to find this thing. Here's some scenes where we do it. It's all very straightforward, and I really respond to that. I think this one gets a bit more messy and bogged down in different shit happening and details. It's a lot. It feels a lot less pure and 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 and, and streamlined. But then the flip side of that is the it gives this film an emotional depth that uh, I think Raiders lacks. Hmm. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's the only Indiana Jones movie. Having not seen Dial of Destiny yet myself, um, it's the only Indiana Jones fo- movie of the first four that really has any degree of emotional depth whatsoever, and I, I think it really mm. goes a long way. Um, I mm. think all the action sequences in this film are just terrific, brilliant. Like Spielberg at his best, for the most part, the pacing's great. I love the sense of humor; it does does wonders to kind of carry you through the film. Love the plot; everything Indiana Jones should be is kind of here. So you know what, guys, 
I've only come back round. It's it's the best one. It's my favourite one. <gasps> oh, love it! Nine out of ten, best Indiana Jones movie, Last Crusade. Well, I'll continue on that positivity because this is I, I agree with everything you said. Um, it's my favourite of the trilogy, and I think it always has been. And uh, I've no doubt that Sean Connery is a big part of that. I just you know, I, I, as much as I love the actor, I think that this is probably my favourite role he ever did of any film I've seen him in. Anyway, I think he's such a such a, a brilliant addition to the formula and just the fact that it is more comedic it really plays to my sort of sense of humor which is lovely in a lot of ways it is sort of a perfect kind of exactly what i look for in an adventure action film like the the humor and the characters it has a lot of heart to it as well i love the whole father-son story i think it plays out really nicely it's one of my favorite films ever like it's probably in my top 20 films maybe of wow. uh, you know all-time favorites it is a 10 out of 10 from me i think it's just yeah wonderful i adore it well i'm definitely not as positive and i must admit watching it last night i was like i say it didn't quite grip me i think you know maybe it's just circumstantial i think you need to be bank holiday afternoon sat on a settee watching this on a telly and uh, just that's the perfect time to watch this so i don't want to judge it too harshly and obviously there's lots of things i enjoyed about it the action scenes just dragged on a bit for me i agree about connery probably the best one of the best things he's done this and the rock the best <laughs> stuff he's done uh so i'll give it a good solid eight uh-uh. that's really good for you alan you yeah that's a nine point average soul what does that give us what, yeah let me look because that's, that's gotta of be returns? That's that's way higher than I was expecting, to be honest. And that puts it uh, that puts it joint ninth place on our, our mm. highest rated. I'll be very surprised if any other um, indie film rates this highly for the rest what? of this retrospective. But we shall see. Well, I mean, I like an alien or two. You know what? This film, right, is so good that even though it's got a very clear reverence for, like, God and Jesus and that, I don't even mind. Mm. Like, it's not mm. enough to, like, annoy me. Well, they play religions, that, like, there's this sort of hellish, like, torture that will kill you at the, you know, moment's notice, uh, yeah. which I feel, it's very Old Testament, which I feel like is a good representation of uh, Well, that's, that's Spielberg's <laughs> Jewish, isn't he? They don't really do New Testament. Ah, that's the whole the There whole you shtick. go. Uh, one note here as well. I, I've always, um, I've always felt like um, if I could have any movie prop in the world, if I could, like, own a movie prop used in the filming <laughs> from a film. Wait, 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 Salt. So, Calvin, what is it going to be? Uh, it, I don't think it's going to be as on the nose as the Holy Grail itself, is it? No, well, th- well the answer, uh, th- if I could have anything, it would be the Necronomicon from one of the Evil Dead movies. Um, <laughs> oh. But but I was watching this and I was like, oh, you know what? I'd like to add that to my collection after I get my Necronomicon. Uh, oh, the little the diary, Henry's diary. Yeah, he's got it. The diary signed yeah. by uh, Adolf Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Alan, if you could own any movie prop, you're very—you're not a very materialistic person, so I'm curious <laughs> no. if there is anything that you've seen in a film that you're sort of like, oh yes, I would like to have that on a shelf. Um, yes. Uh, what's my favourite film? Let's see. Fargo. Uh, is it? The briefcase out of Fargo. Steve Buscemi's <laughs> sort of leg sticking out of a <laughs> snowplow. <laughs> William H Macy's moustache. <laughs> Well, there you go. Uh, Indiana Jones. Hmm. What a good, what a good series. It's good, isn't it? So, so far. far, yes. The odd numbered ones. 
<laughs> it's like Star Trek. It is. It's the anti-Star Trek. That is the rule. Odd-numbered Indiana Jones, good. Even-numbered Indiana Jones. Well, we'll see you next time, won't we? Crystal Skull. Mm.